Uh, I'll tell you something about growing up. My mom was a stickler about clean floors. She's watching online. Hello, mother. Uh, but she loved to mop and sweep, and the floors were always polished. Right now, she, she lives in a, in a house by herself, and I'll call her tomorrow morning, and she will be cleaning the floors. It's just something mom does, and it's wonderful, and we used to make jokes about it, and she knew about it, and so she cleans floors all the time. Now, the thing about clean floors was this. Uh, when she cleans the floor, there is no walking on that floor until the floor is dry, right? Is there a rule in your house about this? You stay in your room. You stay on that couch. You do not come out because if there are footprints where it is wet, it's your fault. And you're going to have to do this whole floor by yourself. This was the threat. And so she would, she would do this. And then we would stay in our rooms, maybe. Sometimes we would try and invent, this was before parkour was cool, uh, we would try and figure out a way that we can get from one room to the next room without touching the floor, which meant we were on tables, we were on chairs, we would utilize the rugs that were left out and mopped around because sometimes that happened. Uh, and, and it was a great idea until it wasn't and someone fell off and now a whole body print is right there in the middle of the floor. It didn't work out too well. Uh, your house might be like that. You might have the same rule I do. When we do the floors in our place, we tell the boys to stay put, and now it becomes the floor is wet lava, and it's fun. Uh, but you can't go from one place to another place without going down the hallway, right? At some point, you're going to be stuck. You can move around in your room. You can maybe get three feet out of your room, but you're stuck in that place. In order to get someplace, you have to use the hallway or corridor you have to get your feet wet if you wanted to. Uh, our house is the same way. Your house is the same way. And today I want to tell you that God's house is somewhat the same way. In God's house, there is a, a, a hallway running through the corridors, and the hallway is called forgiveness. And we can't get from run one room to the next room without going through forgiveness. It's partially why, as we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer and how you know, this is the fourth week in it and, and the different phrases, partially why this phrase of the Lord's Prayer is one of those we'll get to and it kind of stings, right? It says this, you might know it, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And we read that and we're like, awesome! Who wouldn't want a loving father? We all do. Uh, we all want God's kingdom to come. We want the miracles. We want God to be in charge. We want the healings, all of the effects of, around the kingdom. We want the world to be set right again. We want the pains to be comforted. We want the kingdom. And then we all want our daily needs met, like manna from heaven. Uh, every morning we would like, you know, the bank account says the right number. Everything that you need is right there. We want our needs met. We want the daily bread. And then we get to the next place. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then it's like, ooh, really? There's no caveat. There's no wiggle room. Uh, there's no version, uh, other version of Jesus' prayer in Luke that doesn't say this part. Matthew, the technical term Matthew uses is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The Luke's version says forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I wrote that in my Grammarly and it said overly wordy. <laughs> and it is. Uh, but what Matthew and Luke are trying to get to is... You and I owe something we cannot pay. 
Whether it's a debt we can't pay or we walk someplace we shouldn't have walked, there's something that stops us because we're unable to do it by ourselves. You and I have done something wrong and we shouldn't have. We've been caught red-handed. We are without excuse, as Paul says, even though we try really, 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 really hard to come up with a good excuse. Sooner or later, we'll conclude that if we want to get out of our room, we're going to have to embrace, we're going to have to ask for, and we're going to have to forgive other people. We say it's not us who started it. You know, we'll make the excuses. They started it. He hit me first. She said this. Uh, He's to blame. I'm the innocent one. I'm the victim. It's the pattern of time since the beginning of time. It's what Adam said about Eve. She ate the fruit. Eve then turned and said, the serpent told me to do it. And just passed the buck because we don't want to come up with it. Nowadays, it's, well, it's my Enneagram number. That's just the way I am. I'm a three, therefore I do this and this and this. It's okay. Or it's my other personality profile, whatever one you took online yesterday, because we all take them because we're bored, right? We use those as excuses. Or we'll say the system is broken and corrupt. Or I was born this way, therefore I can act like this without any kind of problem. We try and get out. We try and wiggle about it. We'll do anything to blame someone else. We'll point the finger, we'll raise the fist. The problem is, with a pointed finger or a raised fist, it's impossible to receive the grace that God has for us. You're stuck like this. And I don't know if you ever tried to carry something with your hands taped shut. There was a prank that someone did on me in college, and I had to try. But it's very difficult. We'll try, and we'll fail. It's perhaps why many theologians will will look at this section of the Lord's Prayer and they'll say this is the longest, it's the most involved section, and it's the most difficult section. You and I are stuck in our rooms until we can figure out how to accept and give forgiveness. In Mark 2, there's a story, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating one. It's about a paralyzed man whose friends found out that Jesus was going to be in town. This man was paralyzed. He was stuck on his stretcher. And, and they had to get him to Jesus. The house that Jesus is, was in was entirely too crowded. It was full. It was beyond capacity. Fire department would have been called about capacity issues, probably. Uh, and, and so they said, you know what? We've got to get him in there, and we're going to do whatever is necessary to get him through there. You might know this story. And so they looked at any way possible, and then they saw the roof. And they said, hey, we could take that roof off. And then we could use our, probably, our our sashes or parts of our tunics and lower him down. And I could see this paralyzed man going, you want to do what? Okay, sure. I mean, it's the worst that can happen. Uh, And so they start doing this. Now imagine being in that room today. Imagine being here today. uh, and, And all of a sudden, you know, dust starts to fall. Uh, and, and then you look up and you see these hands trying to rip off the slats. And I, I wonder this. I wonder if Jesus noticed and went, what are they doing? But he kept on teaching. We don't know if there was a pause or if they all kind of got out of the way. Maybe a chunk of roof fell on someone's lap. We don't know, but it's one of these fun things to think about. But here's Jesus teaching in this crowded room, and all of a sudden the roof starts coming up, coming apart. Uh, they started to belay him down. Is that the correct term for belay? Uh, I'm not a hiker. I would love someone to try and belay me. That would be really, really wonderful to see. Uh, but what they did was intrusive, and what they did was dangerous, and the homeowners association probably did not like it. And the homeowner was like, are you serious right now? This is what you're doing to our house. But they did it anyway. 
And part of this story is we all need friends like this who could bring us to Jesus, yes. But there's something else that happened there. They had these high expectations that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, everything will be made right. And it worked. They uh, got everyone's attention, including Jesus's. And kind of worked. Jesus uh, does heal the man, but he does something interesting for, for him first. In verse 5 in Mark 2, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, so he saw the, the, his friend's faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. He wanted to walk again. His sins weren't the problem. That's not what his friends were after. That's probably not what he was after. He wasn't physically paralyzed that we know of because of his sins. They wanted Jesus to say to this man, you're healed, not you're forgiven. And it was probably more interesting. Uh, the man was probably more interested in walking than he was a, a clean conscience. Nevertheless, that's where Jesus began. Jesus responds to this man, and he doesn't respond to his apparent need. He responds to the deeper need. We talked a little bit about this last week, when, when Jesus responds to what, not only what we're asking for, but what we need the most. And this, Jesus does the same thing here. He looks at this man, and not that he ignores his physical condition, but he looks at his spiritual condition and forgives him. That request, the forgiveness of, of, of whatever sin this man had, was more audacious than the man asking to walk again. Because sometimes we don't ask for what we simply need the most because we don't really know what we need. We walk up to, it's not like we walk up to God and say, God, I have this wonderful idea. Why don't you, figure with this idea, God, why don't you come here, put yourself on a cross, march to Calvary, make a substitutionary atonement for my sin, and then rise again three days later, forgive me for everything that I've done, empower me, give me, a, bless me, and do all of this. Doesn't sound like that, that sounds like a great idea, God. Do we walk up to God and say that? No. That's, that's too much to ask for. We don't do that. We don't say, protect me, guide me, and give me everything that I ever deserve, and even the things I don't. Because that's not what we think about. We think about the temporal needs first. For one, we don't do it because it's rude. It's too much to ask for, and it's too much to even think about. It's beyond what we can ever think that we need. But here's the deal. Jesus does it anyway. His friends wanted Jesus to heal him, but we need, what he needs most is forgiveness. Jesus' greatest gift is not a healed body. It's a restored soul. It's a renewed spirit that's been made alive again. Nobody could see the broken soul. All they saw was the broken body. They didn't know how, they'd, how to ask for that. The paralytic didn't know that he needed to ask for forgiveness, yet Jesus did it anyway. It's this idea of preemptive forgiveness. It's, it's like a preemptive strike in a good, best way possible. Jesus saw the need, and then he moved to meet it before they can even think about asking it. It wasn't enough for this man to get up and walk again. Because if he were able to get up and walk again, he would still be stuck in the confines of his room. Why? He hadn't experienced forgiveness. Jesus wanted the man not only to walk again, but he wanted him to enjoy God's great house. He wanted him to walk through the corridors of faith. He wanted him to develop. He wanted him to experience a relationship. The story of the man is our story too. We've been lowered before Christ. 
He's forgiven us long before we can ever express our need for it. Long before you even thought you needed forgiveness. Jesus makes it, makes it happen, puts it on the table, and it's there for you to take it. It wasn't the last time Jesus did this. On the cross, and we'll look at this on Good Friday as well, in Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. It's preemptive. Father, forgive them. They're doing something they don't know. I'm already forgiving them. It's a preemptive forgiveness. And a lot of us, some people have this idea that preemptive forgiveness is a bad thing. It's not. It it shouldn't be. Some people will look at preemptive forgiveness and say, well, it's a green light to live however I want to live because I'm already forgiven. What's it matter if I sin anymore? It's already been taken care of. That's the wrong way to go about it. It's not a bad thing, and it shouldn't be looked at as as a green light to sin. Paul makes it very clear in Romans 6, shall we sin more that grace may increase? And he says, may it never be. It's more colorful language if you look at it. It's not a way to more, more grace. That's not the point of forgiveness. Christ's forgiveness acts as an invitation to live a life that is worthy of the forgiveness that's already been given to you. Not that you have to work to earn it, but that you work because of it. You've been forgiven. It's reassurance that that next misstep you make is taken care of. There's a way back. It's forgiveness that changes us. Christ gives us this radical invitation and says, look, I'm going to forgive you so that you can walk in the hallway without your footprints making a mess. It's forgiveness that says, I don't want you to be held back by your pasts. It's not being scared of the future of this impending doom that's going to come from you because God's angry at you. God's not angry at you. It's a forgiveness that brings freedom to move instead of being paralyzed in our lives. Instead of being paralyzed by the present. We can't imagine something like this on our own. We, we didn't know that this kind of forgiveness existed. And so Jesus had to show us what it looked like first. Yesterday, I was in the den working, and our den also uh, doubles as a storage closet, a workout room, a hideout from the kids, and then there's a desk over there. There's an elliptical there that holds my hat, uh, but it's, it's kind of the everything room, and I was down there working, and, and Carrie walked in, Carrie, the wonderful wife that she is. She walks in, and it, I didn't know what time it was. I didn't know what was going on, and so she walks in and says, hey, you want lunch? And I was like, sure. I was about to say, what are my options? And then she hands me lunch. I was like, wow, a turkey sandwich with pepper jack cheese with a little bit of mayo, a homemade sourdough bread that she made. Yes, yeah, we're talking. Some chips, apples, and an orange. This was great. I didn't know I was hungry. But when I saw it, I was like, I am hungry. I didn't know what time it was. It was 1238. I didn't know that it was lunchtime. I was just doing my thing, and she walks in. It was everything I needed at that moment, and I didn't even know I needed it. That's what the forgiveness is similar to. It's there for you. It's everything you need to have that you don't know you need at just the right time that you need it. I didn't know what to ask for with lunch. If she would have said, you want lunch, and there would be nothing there, I would say, well, what are my options? Options were taken care of. Everything was there that I needed, and that's what Jesus does for us. Forgive us from our sins. It's already there for your taking. All you need to do is just reach out and grab it. All you need to say is, yes, 
I want that. Jesus already paid the price of grace. He's already covered the cost of forgiveness. He's done all the work and says, here's your lunch, or here's your hall pass to walk in the hallways freely. All you need to do is take it. This story continues, and Jesus keeps going. Uh, There were some teachers of the day in in verse 6, and the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And what Jesus did was cause the stir with those teachers. The teachers watched Jesus closely. They had great intentions. We tend to throw them under the bus. They had great intentions, but they, the intentions didn't really play out like they should have. He was a threat to their establishment. He would challenge their teachings. He poked holes in their empty theories. And the biggest thing was Jesus removed obstacles that kept people away from the Lord. And so their intentions didn't play out like they should have. They, Jesus was opening the bounds to grace, opening the bounds to forgiveness, and they didn't think it was a good idea. They wanted people to stay in their rooms. And so as Jesus forgave this man, they sat across the alley thinking about what they saw. Did you read anything in that text that said they said it out loud? No. They were just thinking about it. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts, which is the craziest thing. They didn't even have to say a word. He knew it. Like when you see a child and you know they're up to something, you go, what are you up to? I know you're scheming. I saw it yesterday. I know you're scheming about something. You're going to do something wrong, and, and, and you know it. And Jesus is the same way with these Pharisees. Immediately, he saw what they're going. He says, why are you thinking these things? What Jesus did doesn't make any sense to them. Only God can do what what Jesus did. And they're trying to sort this all out. Sometimes the hardest part of forgiveness is simply accepting the fact that you've been forgiven. It's audacious. It goes against the idea of everything that we've been taught. We define ourselves by our past. We define ourselves by the sin that we carry, the stuff that no one knows about. And Jesus says, you can be forgiven for that. And we would say, that's not likely real. Like the teachers of the day did. There's nothing you can do to earn this. There's nothing you can do uh, to, to make it yours. It just has to be taken. And our response, oftentimes, when it comes to forgiveness, is the same as the Pharisees. It's probably not that Jesus can't forgive. It's probably more along the lines that Jesus won't forgive. They're different, but they're essentially the same thing. It goes like this. You don't know what I did. I haven't told you what I did. You don't don't know what I said, or you don't know what was said to me. You, You don't hear the tapes that are being replayed in my mind about that one time, or the multiple times, or the years of whatever it was. You don't know my memories. You didn't see their face. Uh, You can't imagine the impact of my actions or what I did was so bad. There's no coming back from that. And what we do is, like the Pharisees, we want to put bounds on forgiveness. And and what we do is end up locking ourselves even more in the room. That's true. I don't know. You do. And if Jesus can read the thoughts of somebody across the street, so does Jesus. He can read your thoughts and yet still... He forgives. All you have to do was ask. First John tells us this, that when we do ask, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness, not just a few. That word all is Greek. It means all. All unrighteousness. Not just the little ones, but the big one. Every single one. And Jesus continues. He says, which is easier to say in verse 9 to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to them, I tell you, said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. For some of us today, we need to realize and embrace this forgiveness. Experience the freedom that comes with this past to wander God's corridors freely. To feel the weight of the guilt be lifted off of your shoulders. That you too can be like this man who was lowered in front of Jesus. Sins were forgiven and the ability to walk freely again. Many of us carry around our past like a bag of rocks and it weighs us down. Jesus is saying, I can carry that for you. I can carry that for you so you can walk better. You weren't meant to carry all of that burden. Christ already did it for you. He carried it on the cross and said, I forgive you. Now we just need to allow it to be taken from you. The same eyes that that looked at the paralytic that day are the same eyes that look at you, and all you have to do is ask to receive what's being offered. And today, perhaps the phrase, forgive us our sins, or forgive me my sin, is a monumental barrier for you. You want, it's easier to stay in the room you're familiar with. And Jesus is opening the door saying, come on out. You don't have to stay that way anymore. You don't have to stay in your bedroom locked away. You don't have to find a way to sneak around the house. It's been made. For others, forgive me my sins is easy. Yeah, cool. I don't have many to forgive me for anyways. So forgive me my sins is easy. For others, the second part. And forgive those who sin against us. Well... Have you met this person? Did you see what they posted? Did you see what they said? Did you see how they reacted? Did you see what they did to me? Did you see what they did to my friends? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It sounds a bit conditional, right? Forgive me as I forgive others. It is a little bit conditional. Jesus forgives you. That part's unconditional. But are you willing to embrace his forgiveness and pass it on to somebody else? That's the hard part. Here's what I mean. Nothing will stop Christ's forgiveness. Nothing means nothing. Nothing stands in the way. Paul says, not heights, nor depths, nor angels, nor principalities. Nothing stands in the way of what Jesus did for you. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That love's been given to us. That love's been secure. That love is ours. Jesus' forgiveness opens the door. However, the door is open. We've been forgiven. And we can still be trapped in our own rooms by the lack of forgiveness that we give to others. We've been healed. We've been restored. But we're still paralyzed. And we can't get up and walk. What this phrase tells us and teaches us is that to fully experience the forgiveness from God is to give forgiveness to other people. We are often held back from living fully into the grace of God. Even though we've accepted it, we refuse to give it away. God says you've been forgiven. You've been set free. Now 
we, in order to live fully and experience what God has given us, need to do the same to those who sin against us. In Matthew 18, there's a parable, and the more you read it, the more disturbing it gets because there's a new detail that pops up. And it's about this man who, uh, this king that Jesus calls him, who was settling his accounts. So he's looking at his Excel sheet, however boring those are. He's looking at them, and he's noticing who owes him money. And he's trying to, to settle, probably before tax season, right? And see who owes him what, see where his money is. And he gets to this guy that owns thousands of or bags of gold. We don't know how much it was a lot of money. And he owed it. And so the king calls this guy in and says, your bill's past due. Uh, this is the way of collections back then. Uh, you're my servant. I, I'm, pay it today. Uh, there's no more arrangements to be made. Pay it today or I'm going to take your family away from you. And you're all going to work for it until it's secured or until we're even. If this man had any response that you and I would have, he fell to his knees, he started crying, and he begged for mercy. And then, in a twist of the story, the king has mercy on him. He doesn't say, okay, I'll give you another 50 days to figure out how you're going to do this. He goes, your debt's canceled. You have... And you could see the weight being lifted off of this man. He owed thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of money to this king. And the king says, don't worry about it anymore. And he sets him free. He lets him go. And as he gets there, you'd think that his life would be forever changed. He should feel 10,000 bags of gold lighter, right? Nope. Story continues. The man who had been forgiven his debts went out and found one of his fellow servants and demanded that he pays back the hundred silver coins that he's owed. So you have 10,000 bags of gold, a hundred silver coins. $10,000 a buck. And he goes and demands that this person repay him. The text says this phrase, and this is the part that got me. He began to choke his friend until he came up with the money. What the servant couldn't pay back to his friend, he threw him in prison. So here you have this man who's been released from the debt that he owed and he goes out and tries to shake down, literally kill one of his friends until he can get what he wanted. He experienced forgiveness, but was he really living into it? No. Eventually word got back up in this altercation, got all the way back up to the king and he called him in and the king looked at him, reminded him of everything that he had done. Did you see what I released you from? And then you go out and do this. And in Matthew 18, shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he can pay back all that he owed. And then verse 35, this is how my, seven, my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's a lot to hear. We've been forgiven. And now we have to go out and forgive. We've been given this gift. And the more you read the story, the more it should shake you. It illustrates this overarching point that Jesus is trying to teach us. That when you realize the size of debt that you've been forgiven, and when you begin to grasp the freedom that that forgiveness gives us, when you begin to get your head around the deep love uh, that God has for you, 
It needs to affect the way you treat the person who has done you wrong. When you finally understand that now you can roam freely in God's house, wouldn't you want some other people to roam freely in God's house with you? In other words, God no longer holds you in your room, and you shouldn't hold other people to their rooms either. And you shouldn't hold yourself to your room. The grudges that you hold will ultimately eliminate or limit your experience of true healing. Now, forgiveness is always messy. Uh, it it's always takes time. It's, it's not done in minutes. It's not done in days. It's sometimes not done in years. It's, it takes a long time to forgive. There's things that need to be worked through. But it has to start. There has to be that moment in your heart where you realize how much you've been forgiven and now you can look at the person and say, I forgive you. Or this, I'm learning how I can forgive you. I'm beginning the process of forgiving you. The other thing about forgiveness that we forget, forgiveness is always personal. There's always another set of eyeballs to look into. We get hurt by organizations. The organization is ran by a person. The, pers- the thing that hurt you wasn't the org. It was the one that you talked to. So you need to be forgiving a person. This is personal. Forgiveness always, or, and again, forgiveness doesn't always mean that you're going to be best friends with this person again. You can forgive somebody, and it doesn't mean that you're going to hang out later and get dinner. No, 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 that, that, that's not always right. Just because you've extended forgiveness doesn't mean the relationship goes back to normal. Sometimes there needs to be a wall put up. There needs to be a boundary. That person hurt you. That person abused you. You can forgive them, show them God's forgiveness, and still not hang out with them tomorrow night. Forgiveness uh, doesn't always mean that there's reconciliation in that way. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you condone their actions either. What they did to you was wrong. And forgiving someone doesn't always mean forgetting. We always hear this, especially if you're on the other end receiving forgiveness. Can't you just forget what I've done? Sometimes, absolutely not. I've forgiven you. I've released you. I'm not out to get you anymore. I'm not keeping you locked in your room. You can roam freely. But I remember what happened. And I'm not going to put myself in that place again. That's healthy. We need to do that. We need to forgive, let the person experience God's grace, and let them experience it on their own. You can forgive without stepping foot in a room alone with them again. Forgiving is difficult, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Just like God offered you forgiveness... He knew that it's free for you and the life that you can live in the forgiveness is there for your offering. It can change your heart. It can change everything about you. We need to offer the same chance for those around us. Forgive us as we forgive other people. And so today as we enter this exercise of prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How easy is it for you to say the next line? And forgive me my sins. Okay? There's an admittance there. You've sinned. We all have. Forgive me from that sin. You've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. 
Now it's the matter of asking God and admitting to God something he already knows and saying, forgive me from that unrighteousness. And guess what? He already has. Then, who's the person that, you're locked, that you have locked in their room? Who's that one that's offended you? Who do you need to begin the process of forgiveness with today? What's that name? So pray with me. And as you pray, we'll pause and we'll think of those names. Father in heaven, you're holy. Lord, we want your kingdom to come in our lives. We want to experience the fullness of your grace. We want to experience the fullness of your ministry and your presence. Lord, we want your will to be done among us. Lord, you've given us everything that we need. Everything that we ask for, you've responded to. We accept your answer. Now, God, forgive us the ways that we've sinned against you. Forgive us from the moments of indiscretion that we had. Forgive us for clicking on that link. Forgive us from the gossip or hatred that we might hold in our hearts. Lord, forgive us from lying, from exaggerating, for stealing. And God, we thank you for that forgiveness. And we embrace it. We take it. Thank you for opening the door to your home and saying you're forgiven. Now roam freely. Lord, help us to do the hard part. The conditional part with it. Because we want to experience this forgiveness from you. Lord, would you bring to mind the people in our lives that we're holding in their rooms. Spirit, as you are moving through us, would you bring names and faces to our mind's eye? And may we forgive them. Lord, you've given us this great gift, and we want to pass that gift along to other people. Would you, by your power, enable us to do so today? In your name we pray, amen. On the side over here is communion. Uh, Communion is something that we do. It's available for us every Sunday, but it's a picture of the price that Christ paid for our sins. His body was broken for us, and, and it's represented by the bread. And we take that, and we eat it in remembrance of what Jesus did. His blood was shed for us to cover our sins. It, 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 it's it's the, co- the covering that when, Jesus, when God sees us, he sees Jesus' blood over our hearts, and we're no longer held accountable for what we've done. We've been justified. We are now living through sanctified lives. And we dip the bread into the cup, and we eat it, and we say, thank you for forgiving me. Today, if you are comfortable taking communion, it is over there. But before you walk away from that communion's place, who is it that you have to do business with? You don't have to call them. Maybe you, maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe it just begins with your heart. I'm going to forgive this person. 
I'm going to set them free like Jesus has set me free. When you're ready, it's available.